This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Faith in politics, the natural choice, right? The easy thing to preach on as a pastor. The thing that naturally comes between generosity and Advent, right? (laughs) Well, I have to say that when the pastor's team first began praying about our November series, we tossed around a lot of ideas. But then we realized that in the midst of this series would fall the election, uh, something that comes around every four years with the presidential election, and we knew that it might be something we, might, we would want to cover. So after bouncing around a few other alternative, less controversial ideas, uh, we decided that God was calling us to help change the conversation, to look at faith and politics in a way that unites us rather than divides us. And so, um, we never could have anticipated just how necessary, how needed this sermon could be, but I know as many of you have mentioned um, in the days leading up to this and before the service, that this is something necessary for us as a people of faith, that we have felt so divided and so much anxiety and angst over these months leading up to the election. Um, We can still be united and be a diverse church. I want to say that. Um, Diversity makes the church stronger, for sure. And so whether that's diversity in thought, um, or opinion, or experience, or dare I say, political party, um, we want to celebrate diversity in our church. But this election season, we want to change the conversation so that we might come to see Jesus in each other, um, even when we sit across the aisle from one another when it comes to the political party that we uh, promote or represent. Well, these past few months have been pretty grueling for us. I don't know about you, but I have watched way more campaign commercials and town hall meetings and debates than I care to think of, and each of them have left me feeling more uncomfortable than comfortable with the future. Um, This election season, as I mentioned, we want to change that conversation to help with the anxieties that have been increasing during this time leading up to Tuesday's election day. So regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on or who you will represent on Tuesday, I know that we can all agree that this election season has been more fierce than any we can remember in recent years, right? So over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on how we can change the conversation we're having around politics, how we can celebrate our unity in Jesus, and to create a space where those voices of political campaign managers or newscasters, candidates, those on the opposite side of the aisle might fade away so that the voice of God can really speak in the midst of the chaos that is this election season. And so our hope is that we can examine more closely what it means to pledge our allegiance to a God who is the source of real power in this world. Um, The God who has the power to save and to transform, to change the world. To remember that our source of strength and salvation does not lie in a political party or a candidate, but in the one who lived, died, and was resurrected to set us free, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me be clear, today's message is not aimed at getting you to vote for a certain candidate in this election. In fact, I agree with our founder, John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest, who said, I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election, and I advised them, first, to vote without fee or reward for the candidate that they judged most worthy. Second, 
to speak no evil of the person they voted against. I think if John Wesley was present today, he would say, even in social media, in parentheses, right? And third, to take care of their spirits, that their spirits were not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. This is a huge thing that we're called to do. And so my hope is that we will walk away today feeling compelled to exercise our right to vote. That is so very, very important for the person that we judge to be most worthy. But that we'll also approach Tuesday speaking no evil or ill will against the candidate we aren't voting for, even on social media, um, even on Facebook. And to approach those who may vote differently than us with a spirit of love and support. My prayer is that we would approach those polls on Tuesdays united in who we feel, and not in who we feel will um, make us stronger together or make America great again, but in the one who calls us to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That is the person who unites us, Jesus Christ. And I have to say, I've talked to several people earlier today, I find great hope in knowing that regardless of what happens on Tuesday, that my God is sitting on the throne um, today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen? That is something that we can take hope and joy in today. Now, perhaps stating my intentions up front has put some of you at ease. Thank goodness Pastor Amanda is not telling us who we should vote for, right? Others of you are squirming in your seats thinking, man, I wish that the church would take a stand, that Amanda would just tell us who to vote for. Well, the church is taking a stand. It's just not towards one party or another. We're taking a stand for Jesus, the one who is the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, the Lion and the Lamb. And so regardless of whether you're relaxed right now um, or you're wrestling in your seat, I believe that there's a lot we can learn about our scripture today, a lot that can help us move from being a place of, in a place of disunity to being united as followers of Jesus. So I want to read to you today our scripture lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. Hear this word. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. But when you come to the Lord's table, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that you would pour out a spirit of unity upon us in this time together that we would be able to walk away from here uh, feeling united in our faith in Jesus Christ and who you've called, to be, called us to be as followers of Jesus. Speak through me and in spite of me a word that might compel us to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've always liked things to be in order. 
From the time I was a little bitty girl, I started organizing things, my toys, my baby dolls. I have a picture of myself when I was little. I don't have it to share with you today, but I would line up my baby dolls in order of height on the floor, and I would lay down beside of them and cover us all up for a nap. I liked to organize my toys based on the type of toy it was and the color and the size. I had all my color, my crayons um, organized by Roy G. Biv, the color of the rainbow. And every marker that went in the box had to have the cap facing up in the box. I'm sure my parents thought more than once that I was going to be really messed up as an adult because I was so obsessed with keeping things in order as a child. Now, most of those tendencies have fallen away. You can ask my husband. Um, in the midst of the chaos that is our lives, I don't organize quite like I used to. I like piles of things and clean clutter, right? That's kind of my life. But um, there is still one area of my life where I can't quite kick the habit of sorting and organizing and separating things. I want to show you a photograph. This is how most people eat M&M's. They just reach in, they grab whatever they can, a handful of, pop them in their mouth, eat them, they're delicious, right? This is how I eat M&M's. <laughs> Does anybody else do this? Anybody want to confess that they do this? I know that they taste the same. I know that they're just different colors, but I tend to sort them by color, and then I will usually eat them until they're all the same number in each pile. Um, it's very, very odd. <laughs> Well, we as human beings, we tend to naturally separate and sort things, um, to separate things based on how they look or how they identify themselves. And from early on, as you saw with the kids today, kids understand sorting. Um, we sort kids up, boys on one side, girls on the other, um, separate by shortest in the front, tallest in the back. I've done that for every picture I've been in my entire life. Um, now that we're older, we separate ourselves on forms as we identify ourselves as mar marital status, our race and ethnicity. Um, even our age range is a de designation now on many forms that we have. As a society, we've divided ourselves into socioeconomic status um, based on what neighborhood that we might live in. Our kids are either in private or public or charter or magnet or inner city schools. <laughs> we've labeled them all, right? Well, now, in the height of this political season, you can drive through any neighborhood or pull up at any red light and look around you and see how we have sorted ourselves, right? You see a campaign sign or a bumper sticker on someone's car, and it's very clear who they're supporting in the upcoming election. We like to label ourselves as a people. We like to label ourselves because doing that, we belong to a certain group. Um, we do a good job of otherizing people, of putting people in a category other than ourselves. We like to be with people who are similar to us. Um, whoever doesn't believe like us or talk like us or run with the same social group as us, we can consider them as the other. There is an us and then there is the other people. Who the other is changes within our context depending on where we are. Um, we put people in a different category than we put ourselves. It enables us sometimes to discount what they say, to write them off, to separate ourselves from them, um, even to make us feel superior in some ways. Well, the problem with that, of putting people in a category that's other or separating ourselves, is that over and over again in Scripture, Jesus identifies himself as the other, with the other. 
Um, Wherever those people are, Jesus is with them. Jesus is with them, for them, all about them. Jesus is there. And Jesus says that if you want to receive me, you need to welcome and receive the other, no matter who the other person is. Well, in the text for today, we encounter the church in Corinth, a new and thriving church that began very strong. The church, in the, in the early church, they were, um, they were compelled to live together, to share their resources, to make sure everyone had enough. Um, they did everything together. They worshiped together. They were in community with one another. But, as often happens when we get into the swing of things and back to day-to-day life, this church in Corinth had drifted away from those founding Christian principles that had made them um, an early faith community, had made them the church in Corinth. They went back to their ways of sorting. Whether intentional or unintentional, they began to sort people. And the most evident of this was in the Lord's Supper. Now, what was once a common meal where people came together and ate and everyone had enough had become a place where those who were more affluent or privileged would come early. For whatever reason, it may be that they didn't have to work or they they didn't have to work a late job, but they had the resources to be able to be there, to have the first taste of the table, to be able to drink and eat as much as they wanted. And then the others, the people who were out there less privileged working in the fields came in later. By the time they came into the room, most of the food was gone. And so this idea of having a common table of sharing in the Lord's Supper had gone from something that was meant to unite them to kind of a political potluck of sorts. These people showed up and there wasn't enough food left for them. And so, Paul is furious with them. He even goes as far to say is that this thing that you're doing that you say is faithful, this practice, this is not the Lord's Supper. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper. This is something different that you're doing. You're no longer being faithful to who God has called you to be as a people of faith. And so, this meal that you're sharing, it isn't what God intended it to be. The food is not there for those who need it. Um, it's supposed to unite you in your love for God and for other people. And what it has done is it's been a place of division and discrimination. What once brought you together has now begun to separate you. Well, in essence, he's saying that if you are living in a that he is saying that they're living in a dualistic community. That they say they're united, but when it comes down to it, they're very divided. They say that they're followers of Jesus, but they separate out, separate out the people who are different than them. They're living in their own agendas rather than living in the kingdom of God. You've turned your brothers and sisters who are different from you into the other, is what he is saying to them. Well, for many of us during this political season, we have begun to separate ourselves and turned the people who are different from us, into the other. We've aligned ourselves with a campaign um, slogan or an elephant or a donkey rather than the lion and the lamb. We make judgments against our neighbors based on who we think they're voting for, the color of the party that they proudly wear. We assume that God is calling us to lean to a certain direction, one or the other, that God is calling us to be liberal or conservative. But in that Galatians passage this morning that we read first, we see that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. 
There's no longer male or female, for all of us are one in Christ Jesus. All of us are one in Jesus Christ. And so when we are baptized, we're no longer clothed in red or blue or whatever party color we might identify ourselves with. We are clothed in the blood of the Lamb, the one who sits on the throne yesterday, today, and forever. Each of us, regardless of who we cast our ballot for on Tuesday, are children of God. And that's something so important to remember because it is very easy to look at the other and assume that they are less holy or less worthy than we are. Each of us, regardless of who is declared the winner on Tuesday night, after the final count comes in, each of us are children of God. Each of us is made in the image of God. Take a look at this. This photograph here. These people are made in the image of God. Both of them. Yes, both of them. Makes you think, doesn't it? These people who we may have positioned ourselves against are made in the image of God. And each of us, no matter who we are or who we plan to vote for, come to this table of communion as a broken and sinful people. None of us are worthy to receive what God has so graciously given to us through Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet we are welcomed to this place. We don't have to be a certain political party or a certain color of skin or a gender to come to this party. We don't have to be a male or a female or a Jew or a Greek or slave or free. All of us are welcome. This is a place, a table, where we can abandon the dualism that separates us in so much of our daily lives for the sake of God's kingdom. And so this meal that we share is open to everyone, open to all, poor or rich, homeless or home secure, white or black. God invites us all and calls us to put on Christ as we come to this table and as we leave. A way of Sort of, of having this sorting cease among us, ceasing this sorting that happens so that we can experience, experience the love and salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And so my prayer, our prayer for, for you as pastors, is that this time of communion will be something that can unite us around um, our common belief that God is the one who is on the throne um, help us to pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ today and every single day. Not only are we offering this today, but I mentioned earlier that we're going to have communion offered on Tuesday morning. I think it's a very powerful way for us to be reminded, either before or after we cast our ballot, um, that, we, that we pledge our allegiance and our alliance to the one who came, uh, became man among us, and was crucified, dead, and resurrected to unite us and to save us from our sin. And so we hope that you'll join us on Tuesday and that it will be a place of hope for you. Over the next two weeks as we go further into this series, next week we're going to talk about relocating our hope. Um, so we know that people are going to come in here and sit among one another feeling either very excited that their candidate won or feeling very f afraid um, that their candidate didn't. And so we want to talk about what does it mean next week to relocate our hope 
um, in the one who ha- was and is and is to come, uh, Jesus Christ the Lord. And then finally, the last week of our series, we're going to talk about how do we sit side by side, um, kind of as Dr. Seuss separates red fish, blue fish, red Christians, blue Christians. How do we sit together in a congregation among people who think differently than us and yet find unity and a place to have dialogue and conversation um, around faith and politics? And so our prayer for you is that this will be a time of, of, of openness and being able to be united in our love for Jesus and for others. Thanks be to God that we serve a God who comes and meets us in those places of uncertainty and fear and in the midst of the election season to remind us that at the end of the day, God is on the throne. Amen.